All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. This is Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today. Up ahead this hour, we bring you Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. But we kick off today's broadcast first with Here in Taiwan. Well, hello there. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Thursday, November the 21st. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today, we've got Jake Chen. Hello. And Paula Chow. Hello. Up next, I don't think our listeners need this announcement, but uh, just to make it very clear, uh, why you should not eat cotton. Then uh, Taiwanese students help in the fight against fake news, and Turkmenistani Taiwanese, yes, that is a thing, we'll be meeting some of Taiwan's newest immigrants. All that in just a moment. Please stick around. Now, I personally have never considered eating cotton, uh, and I imagine that most of you out there haven't either, but just so that we all know, you know, for our enlightenment, um, why should we not eat cotton, Paula? You have a story about someone who tried it and, and uh, right. had to deal with the consequences. Right. It's a story about a 16-year-old girl. Uh, she has stomach ache for, um, you know, quite a few months, and the situation hasn't, you know, improved. So she uh, saw a doctor, and the doctor found out that she has a problem called intestinal obstruction. So she had cotton in her intestines. Right, and they used endoscopy, and they discovered that um, her intestines were all covered by cotton. Just clogged. Right. Oh, man, and well, why how did they she, all get in there? Yeah, why did she eat cotton in the first place? Well, she told the doctor it's because um, her father told her that, you know, um, she doesn't have beautiful legs. Her legs are too fat. Oh, that's and creepy, but what's that have to do with cotton? Right, so somehow she um, found some information, but that's fake news. Because she found some information on the internet, you know, uh, that says that if she eats cotton, then she is able to lose weight and she will have beautiful legs. Uh, how so does that, that happen? <laughs> I don't know, but anyway, but that's what she did. She actually, in about a year, she um, ate the whole cotton quilt an entire quilt entire quilt over the course of a year yes in that's, a quest for beautiful this is a weird story it's a sort of sexy um, slender legs that's you know well, I how is cotton believe. supposed to help though what's the idea there i don't know but but that's how, how somehow that she found the information so i would imagine that this was a condition called i think it's called pika or pika and that's where like you're compelled to eat things that are not edible and there are people who have that i think if I remember right, there may be some nutritional deficiency that you just have these cravings for things. That, right, but, but... But this does not seem to be the case here. Right. This is bad dietary advice. Right. And doctors are saying that because, again, the Taiwanese young people are so crazy about, you know, Korean soap operas and those, you know, beautiful actresses with beautiful slender um, legs. So actually, a survey found that um, about 57% said, you know, they want, said their, their, their legs are too, you know, it's not attractive enough. Too fat. Oh, yeah, but uh, where does cotton I don't figure know into this equation? That, I still don't yeah, understand. I, I don't understand. What but was the idea behind that? I right, but have, it's just fake news. Yeah, I have heard of 
again, this doesn't make this this story any better. I have heard of in extreme cases that that model who needs to slim down, you know, as part of their profession, they eat uh, things like cotton to make themselves not feel hungry for a while. Oh, I've heard okay. of this many many years ago. I really thought it was a joke or a rumor, but I never realized that somebody would actually try that. Um, just out of curiosity, roughly how old is this uh, young lady? Sixteen. Gee. Right, teenager. I feel like by sixteen, you're old enough to know, sort of have a discerning eye when you read things. But well, but I think teenagers they're really susceptible to. I think people sort of comment on them, right? Absolutely, I mean, but I mean there are nutritionists and people you can go see. I mean we have a healthcare insurance card. I'm sure you can consult someone. Well, but fortunately, to... you know she you know saw a doctor. Otherwise, I. Th- Think the situation will get pretty serious. Oh, definitely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't eat cotton. That's sort of the the the, the whole point. <laughs> and, and don't be obsessive over your look, really. But more importantly, don't eat don't, cotton. Right, yeah, they're sad. Well, as we've seen, the internet is full of information that cannot be trusted.、Uh, but two software programs that have been、uh, designed in Taiwan may be able to help a little bit. You know,、uh, help us sort through the garbage from the genuine. And this is actually a very interesting series of projects done by students. Actually,、uh, students at a place called Zhongyuan Christian University. It doesn't say where in Taiwan this is. But it sounds like they have an interesting、uh, software engineering program、uh, because they've actually won InnoServe awards. And、uh, these, the first one is called Keyboard Moderator, and I think that that's kind of explains what it does.、Uh, it moderates sort of comments and things like that. And this was done with help from big data companies, but it was still the students who were behind it, and、uh, they actually put it into action on PTT, which is a very big online sort of forum. Um, it's I can't think of any foreign equivalent. It's a bit like it looks like it's MS DOS based, very old fashioned,、mm-hmm. uh, but still very popular、uh, actually. And so yeah, they actually put it into use. And what it is is it's a, a web crawler that trawls through these messages posted on these boards, and it analyzes them. It compares them. They have a, a database, I guess, of what's appropriate and not, and it compares them. And、uh, that what they do then,、uh, I guess, you don't want to give. Ultimate editorial power to a machine because it doesn't understand context and things like that.、Um, so what it does instead is re-uploads all of this, the results, to a place called Moderating the Mass by the Masses, which is a platform that users of this forum can look through, and、uh, sort of it's a bit DIY, but they can decide what they feel is appropriate to community standards and what is not, and so that way,、uh, uh, or or what's what they call an outright fabrication. So、um, the students who worked on it say they hope that this will cut down.、Uh, it doesn't say fake news here, but information that may manipulate readers in a certain way.、Mm. Um, so it must be pretty savvy to be able to pick up on that because manipulation can be quite subtle. Another project that they worked on is called Hey Fans, and this is another sort of big database project.、Um, but it, instead of classifying messages, it classifies whole accounts. So I guess they—it's a troll reader outer.、Um, basically, they are either、uh, classified as fan or hater accounts, both in inverted commas, both in quotes here. And、uh, this will apparently allow you to—it says understand problematic usage or posting. I feel like the messages probably speak for themselves. But anyway,、uh, it's a—I guess if you install this on your computer, you can sort of—they give you sort of a rating, I guess. And、uh, this classification will help. 
decide people decide whether to follow certain accounts or to block them altogether because it's just stuff they don't want to hear inappropriate things that sort of stuff um and they say that they, this will be eventually adapted for commercial applications so i wonder if some uh, big online you know services that we use or or sites that a lot of people high traffic sites like youtube or facebook might eventually adopt something like this um uh so yeah the idea is t- Again, they're using the word cyber manipulation, which I'd never heard of until today. But I think also uh, they said they mentioned fabrications and fake news. So I think that it's sort of looking for a couple of different things, uh, but all problems that plague our Internet today. And uh, it'll hopefully uh, make it a nicer place to be. I do wonder how they're going to sort of regulate the regulators, though, because you do sort of put the right to basically tell people what is appropriate and what isn't to in, in a small group of people. And uh, I think you mentioned earlier that it's not, it's like first regulated by a machine, then by a group of people. Yeah, there's a moderating by the masses platform that people look through what it's found and decide themselves. Right. That doesn't make it fundamentally different um, from allowing the public to to, uh, um, like and dislike comments in general, doesn't it? Well, I think, uh, and it doesn't say what the mechanism is, how it, if it's a popular vote thing where whoever <laughs> you get upvoted or downvoted wins or, or how, how that actually works in practice. Okay. So, but I think the idea is uh, that it's not arbitrarily done by a machine, that the community sets its own rules and, and enforces them itself. Okay. So, because I think PTT is a very different animal from some of these other websites too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, things can get pretty wild on there. They can, but uh, I think also they're, you know, like, like I said, they can put their, their a sort of a autonomous do-it-yourself type of group. Not, things aren't always done from above. Right. So um, It has that feel to it. Yeah. Um, it is community, and people try and make it that way. So, uh, yeah, they hope to make the internet more transparent and allow people to actually uh, hear real, the voices of real people, not bots, trolls, and all the rest of it. In many parts of the world, we're living in an age, a globalized age of hyphenated identities. People uh, can identify as more than one thing uh, at the same time. And uh, Taiwan is no exception in that regard. I don't know that we're seen as a big uh, immigrant magnet compared to some other countries, but people do come and they do naturalize as Taiwanese citizens. Uh, The most recent example is a couple of people from Turkmenistan. Right, from Central Asia, um, because in Taiwan, we see people from all over the world, but people from Turkmenistan, from Central Asia, well, that's, you know, quite rare. And naturalization itself is not very common. Uh, some, a very select group, as we said before, of foreigners, about less than 200, I think, have been granted citizenship. And so they're allowed to have dual nationality. But usually, usually, if you want to adopt Taiwanese nationality, you have to give up your own nationality first. So Mm -hmm. for people to make that decision, it doesn't happen all that often. Right. But this college professor, uh, professor, he's teaching at Yishou University. He teaches um, international finance. And this earlier this year, he received his Taiwan's ID card. Mm. And then he and his um, he and his wife and um, two children, they have all become naturalized uh, Taiwanese citizens. Mm. And was this through a grant or through renunciation of their Turkmenistan citizenship? I don't know. Yeah. Because they have pretty strict criteria. I mm-hmm. know that there's a process of review. It doesn't happen automatically. It's... Right. But anyway, he first came to Taiwan nine years ago. And then, um, so he received his um, uh, Taiwanese uh, uh, ID card. And he, um, 
he received his PhD degree um, in the UK, and they, at the recommendation of his um, professors, he, he uh, came to Taiwan to teach at the Isho University. And he's um, he is a very popular teacher at Isho University, and he teaches international finance. He usually, well, he will um, give his students some practical examples. For example, he will talk about how the current relations between China and the U.S. Um, affect Taiwan stock market, and he actually um, has his own channel on YouTube, uh, you know, introducing international finance in Chinese. And, uh, I I'm not sure it's in Chinese. I, I guess so. Yeah, I, I guess hmm. it must be because he teaches at uh, in college here. But anyway, he has won um, several um, awards for his an outstanding teacher. He has an outstanding teachers award, and um, he says he's pretty happy, um, you know, living in Taiwan. Hmm. It's a pretty good place. I mean, there's plenty of universities mm -hmm. around, so uh, a good place to develop an academic career, I guess. I, I wonder what it is, though, that uh, decided to to make him stay here. Though uh, I know that he was he was he came at the recommendation of uh, of a was it a colleague? Yes, right. But uh, obviously, something decided not just him, but his whole family to make them. His whole family, stay. yes, is uh, that's pretty special. The Tianmu area of Taipei is uh, has a reputation for being a very affluent place with a lot of uh, international jet-setting types living there. It's very exclusive almost, yeah. I might say. Swiling. So why is their business district doing so poorly? Yeah, uh, this is uh, indeed is a question of a pretty popular online discussion uh, after uh, a latest store announced that they're going to close the doors at the end of the year. The store is called Zabu. It's a, I think it's a restaurant, a chain restaurant. That is San Temu, and then uh, after their announcement, a lot of people took it to uh, Facebook after the announcement and on PTT talking about the area because uh, recently, just in the last year and a half or so, a McDonald's closed its doors and a Hagen Dazs uh, and a Brown's Coffee also closed their doors as well. Oh, the Hagen Dazs there closed? Yeah, that's the only one of the places you just mentioned that I knew about. But okay, that's surprising. Yeah, so. People chime in with their own uh, opinions, but apparently um, uh, no experts here. Uh, it has to do with, uh, I guess, a myriad of reasons. You know, the uh, the overall stagnating economy, uh, people believe, has finally hit one of the most, uh, I think affluent would be the right word, one of the Yeah, I was going to say, it can't be gentrification because the area is pretty already posh. Yeah. Um, and But a stagnating economy, it's supposed to be growing by, what is it, 2%? I'm surprised. Officially. Okay. Officially, yeah. And also when you talk about a quote-unquote grown economy, you got to uh, put uh, inflation in, in, mm. in mind as well. So, you know, how much is it really going is in question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the haagen that you talked about, it's a pretty fancy store. I mean, here's a photo of I've, it. I think I've been there. Yeah, it's a, a long it's time a, ago. Yeah, it's like a decorated like a European mansion or something. So is it's that close? Oh, that's why I remember it because it's very it's different. very upscale. Yeah, and the McDonald's it's very well designed as well. It's not like a you know here's a you know door with an M on it. Walk in. It's it's a it has its own building. Uh, no more, unfortunately. Um, so. Yeah, I really hope this isn't the the sign of things to come. You know, because uh, if things are closing down in this area, it doesn't really bode well for for the other shopping districts around Taipei. It's going to be all claw machines pretty soon. I mean, that's it, this sort of thing isn't limited to that area where I am too. Um, basically, most of the tenants these days are um, entrepreneurs. 
No, I'm talking about things like they're like pop-up stores, you might call them. Mm. So uh, there are two places, three places I can think of near where I live that just recently, they decided not to go the claw machine route. There's already plenty of those around, yep. uh, filling it with like these arcade games uh, that people play. And instead, they sell like, uh, there's one that was selling uh, women's undergarments for a while. They've since switched over to selling uh, different types of pottery and like porcelain and crockery like stuff for your kitchen cups that's chopstick holders and then there's another one that's like just all cell phone equipped like there's lots of people who sell accessories yeah like you know your oh, phone chargers, cases that's got to be your chargers your cases your other things that you put on your phone yeah um, and like they don't stay for very long usually they're gone in a few months and there's a very high turnover rate but uh, i think this is probably not a problem i'm just surprised that it's reached even some very uh, uh area. Well, but the situation is not only unique to Tim. In my neighborhood, in a neighborhood lot of shops are closing. Yeah. Yes, and there we have lots of, I think, lots of um, empty retail space. Is the rent just too high? Do you think? I don't. That could be one reason. I guess in general, it has something to do with our overall. I mean, know, it just economic. seems like like there's a lot of turnover in these places. Mm-hmm. They, there's places that they, they they are open for a couple months and then they go out of business and then. Claw machines. It's all going to be claw machines. Taipei's mayor is, is always someone to uh, speak his mind. He never really holds back very much. And, uh, well, we're going to talk about what he's been saying recently. <laughs> right. It could range from any anywhere between from entertaining to offensive, I guess, to certain groups. Uh I'm not sure how to put this one, though. Uh, we're talking about Mr. Ko Wenjo, the mayor of Taipei, and recently, I think, the head of his new own, his own political party that he founded. Um, so he was, uh, he, him and his team was recently uh, uh, invited to a forum at a, at a Zhongshan uh, University. And then the topic went all over the place. I'm not going to count them all. He went from economy to Taiwan's defense budget. And while commenting on Taiwan's defense budget and Taiwan's mandatory enlistment uh, system, um, he commented on the uh, pro uh, politicians who are pro independence. He called them liars, uh, and I'm being conservative when I translate this. Uh, he said uh, they, they're all uh, liars. Uh, they're sending. Um, they they said that they are pro Taiwan, but there's they've all sent um, their children and their children's children to to abroad to make sure that they're safe because uh, you know uh, they don't want them to enlist in the military. Well, and, I think they phased out mandatory conscription, haven't they? I think people under a, young men these days under a certain age don't have to do that anymore. So right. it's not really, is that a draft dodging or what is it? Yeah, he's talking about draft dodging and he's talking about the children of, you know, people who claim that they're, they're pro-independence. So, yeah, he, he's basically saying that, you know, saying that you're pro-independence doesn't mean that you really want to uh, contribute to the island. So, yeah. Um, and how are people taking this? Uh, people are taken in, in all sorts of ways. You know, <laughs> that's uh, generally the case with him. He has a tendency to do that. He, he's quite divisive, and those who are in support of him are really in support of him. You know, I guess that's where his voter base come from. He said, "Well, you know, good for Mr. Ko for speaking your mind again." And uh, of course, there are people on the other side who call him for uh, out for going too far. All right. Well, uh, that's all we have time for on today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. I'm Jake Chen. And I'm Paula Chan. Don't go anywhere just yet. Coming up next, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight.
Lights, camera, Asia. A look at Asian culture and history through the lens of cinema. Lights Camera Asia. I'm Jake Chen. In the past several weeks, we have been examining gangster film genre, and more specifically, the ones that are made in Asia. For this week and the next, however, we are going to hit pause and interrupt our original program planning because we have a rather unusual guest in the studio. The gentleman's name is Mr. Wood Lin. And he has the jury for TIDF, or the Taiwan International Documentary Festival. It is a biannual film festival set here in Taipei City, and as it has opened for submission recently, Mr. Lin has come to the radio station to promote the event. I suspect that, like many of our listeners, this is the first time that I've heard of the film festival. So I start off. By asking him to introduce the mission statement behind the festival and tell us what it is all about. All right,、uh, Mr. Lin, thank you for coming to Radio Taiwan International.、Um, today we're here to talk about TIDF, the Taiwan International Documentary Film Festival. To some of our listeners who probably haven't heard of the documentary festival before, could you? Introduce TIDF to them. What does it stand for? Okay,、uh, TIDF means Taiwan International Documentary Festival, and it was founded in 1998. So it's going to be the twelfth、uh, edition of the next next festival.、Mm-hmm. And this festival、uh, now we have a permanent office under Taiwan Taiwan Film Institute, and we show around 150 films in every edition. So it's one of the largest. Fest,、uh, documentary festival in Asia, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, if my research serves me right, it is held every two years. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.、Um, why every two years? Uh, because um, when the when the people they want to build this festival, they went to another another festival in Japan called Yamagata International Documentary Film Festival. It's one of the, I think it's the oldest. Uh, documentary festival in Asia,、hmm. but Yamagata is also take place every two years. So, the Taiwan people they want to learn from Yamagata and build a partnership to learn. So it's like this year is Yamagata and next year is TIDF. So it's like、uh, take turns to each other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I guess. Because we're gonna be held next year in twenty twenty. Yeah. So they're held in every odd years and yes. every even year. Yes. Okay. Talking about、um, the documentary film festivals in Japan,、um, one of the questions that I want to bring up is compared to because、uh, I know there there's a number of documentary festivals around.、Um, let's focus on Asia. Yeah. Compared to other documentary festivals、uh, in, in Asia, like the one in South Korea, in in, in Japan, in China,、um, what is unique about TIDF?、Yeah. Okay, I I think. In in one way, we try to expand the definition of the documentary. So, if you have joined、uh, our festival, you will see many,、um, I would say, experimental films, or even the documentary theater performers. 
as an experimental film? Yeah. Okay. And uh, audio documentary. It means only sound, but without image. Right. Yeah, and we also hold the exhibition. Yeah, so it's like a, a very diverse uh, program in the festival. I think compared to the other film festival, they usually do the thing, do the screening in the theater, right. and hold the Q and A. But we try to expand, and put a lot of uh, the other elements in the festival. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was this, in terms of as far as uh, platforms and uh, and uh, genres of art is concerned, this does sound very diverse. Was this a main goal at the very beginning, since nineteen ninety eight, or did it gradually sort of evolve to what it is today? Yeah, I think it's it's going and going because documentary is changing. Mm. And in the past, we we would consider documentary as a very serious, uh, serious cinema. I would say that, but now even the home video could be something, yeah. And we see a lot of um, lot of filmmakers they they make films by their own perspective and mm -hmm. their own way. So I would say the documentaries may be more creative than fictions. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that's that's an interesting point. Mm -hmm. um, since you said the the festival has evolved a fair bit over the last twenty years, yeah, what were some of the main features and categories back then, and what are the main features nowadays? Um, it, I think it's it's uh, a little bit different, uh, depending on the background. Like uh, in the Europe, you will see a lot of a uh, lot of documentary from the TV or from the festival or from the school. But uh, and if you think about the North American, I would say it's kind of mainstream documentaries there. Okay. But in Asia or especially in Taiwan, we have many local issues. We the filmmaker want to handle it, so they concern about like a social movement, like what happened in Hong Kong now. So they try to um, describe the story. In very detailed way, by making films, but in another way, I I I noticed that there's a trend that many people they start to uh, making films by their own iPhone or some some machines. That means more and more personal cinema is is. Uh, how to say it's it's burned. Yeah. It's getting they're getting their voice heard. Yeah. More individual agencies. Yeah. Like uh like last year I think there's a film called For Summer is one of the most popular documentary in these two years. It's about a refugee that he uh make films by his iPhone and focus on his journey too. To to how to say as a refugee to the world, huh. is was he one of the refugees who had to make his way through Europe? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when the audience watched that film, it was very touched. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. you guys screened that in in a theater, like an iPhone film. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm. Do you uh, foresee this as a trend going forward, since more and more people are having their own equipment? Yeah, I think it's trend. As especially, everybody use the social media now. Mm -hmm. They record something and put it on the internet, 
and some people collect all the all this kind of footage and make another films by re-edit all the materials. Yeah. I like to remark on the last documentary film that he mentioned, which is shot on mobile phone. Because just a few years ago, the use of a mobile phone camera for movie making is something that people wouldn't take seriously. And probably for good reasons, because phone cameras back in the days weren't known for their quality. But the advancement in camera phone technologies in recent years really have kicked off a new trend. Compared to the most professional cameras and even prosumer cameras, the image quality from camera phones are still not exactly up to snuff. However, cameras on phones have this advantage that nothing else can come close their price, and their unparalleled accessibility. Phone camera, you know, the one in your pocket, is often the only camera that a person has access to. And the ease of picking up a phone, swipe, and begin shooting is something that no camera, no matter how advanced, can compare. In fact, most Professional camera manufacturers strive to make their equipment more capable and more advanced, but along the way, these cameras also become more complex and cumbersome to use. Phone cameras, on the other hand, are designed for ease of use from the ground up, and they always strive to be easy and accessible. The fact that an immigrant can use a phone camera to make a documentary to tell the story of his ordeal shows just how much a camera that is readily available can really help unleash a person's creativity. And in the case of this refuge who was fleeing from his home country to Europe, using a mobile phone almost certainly was his only option. While films made partially or entirely by mobile phones are just beginning to getting attention at documentary film festivals such as this one, the TIDF, the technology is already shining in a number of other film genres. Some of the most notable cases in recent years include a series of Bentley commercials shot on iPhones only. And in 2015, a real breakthrough happened which made a lot of people take notice. American film director named Sean Baker used only three iPhone 5s to shoot a feature-length film, a comedy drama, in fact, called Tangerine. The film later on went on to win a number of nominations and uh, awards at the Sundance Film Festival. As technology moves forward at a relentless pace, I look forward to seeing more creativity being unleashed by the equipment that is more convenient and easily accessible. I'm sure that a documentary made last year was just a beginning and that in the not too distant future, movies made with mobile devices will occupy an even bigger part of our creative landscape. Thank you for listening to Lights Camera Asia and I hope you have enjoyed my conversation with Mr. Lin. But that's not all, and please stay tuned because next week, me and Mr. Lin will continue our conversation about his documentary film festival, the TIDF. I'm Jake Chen, and I'll talk to you then.
What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm. What do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Emily Wu came back to Taiwan to start her very own podcasting business. She has named it Ghost Island Media only because some people call it a ghost island because they think that it's a crappy place. There's nothing left here and all that kind of stuff. But to Emily, that's not true. She thinks this ghost island has a lot to offer. She wants so much to do podcast because she's not really watching YouTube's anymore. She said it's bad for your eyes, which is true. But instead, she's listening to a lot of great podcast programs since while she was still in the states that she wants to make her own. Last week, we talked about her recent launch of a Mandarin program. Today, she will tell us more about her business so far and where she intends to go with it. The first English show was launched on Earth Day.、Um, ah, so I think this is going to be theme now. Where for every other shows, we have to pick something, pick a significant day to go with it. Very good thinking. Very good thinking. Actually, right now, still working out of your home. Like, no, so like a, no, you, no, you've got、uh, a formal, a、uh, professional studio already.、Uh, we are at a co-working space. Okay, co-working space. So I've been at a couple.、Oh. Um, we started with Future Word.、Uh, it's a it's a co-working space in、uh, by Nanjing and Fuxing.、Mm-hmm. Um, very nice space. They've got all the equipment, the mics, the, the everything. Uh, they、right? have a recording room there. Okay, the recording room, and they have this beautiful space and a really nice community.、Yeah. Um, but then also several months ago, we moved to a different space,、uh, a space called MyCoin. It's、uh-huh. a Bitcoin exchange.、Uh, it's the first Bitcoin exchange in Taiwan. No way, really,、um, really interesting. Actually, before you even started doing what you love, which is podcasting, you had to learn about all these technical stuff, the hardware and everything, and setting up a, a right environment for recording. Did you like study about googling on your own or something, or you got some people who are really, in, really techies and helping you out with this stuff? A little bit of both,、um, mm. kind of pulling on the expertise of people who've already done it.、Um, oh, we've already done it, but of course. But I think that's what I love about production and the media today is that the tech is always evolving. So there's always a lot of new things to to learn. So when I started my career in visuals with videos, this is when. Taiwan was just starting to adapt to HD, but these documentaries I was a part of with Public TV, it was one, it was a major push for Taiwan into HD filmmaking back then, and so、um, learn a lot about that. How do you make a production that's all digital, and really just a transformation of that? But then, when I went to Next Media, everything then was online, and then it was I got to learn about animation, I got to learn about motion capture.、Um, we had a Uh, a facial scanning system, the same system that that we used for the movie Avatar, came from USC. We were just sitting in Nehu, this beautiful, beautiful globe. Oh, so what、okay. happens? You sit in there, and and it takes these、um, a lot of photos of your faces. Right, and what, the the result is 
they can make a uh, 3D 3D rendering reproduction review. of it, right? Um, so I learned about all that. I didn't do it. Obviously, I still cannot animate, but at least kind of I knew what was possible. Yeah. Um, so uh, for producing writing, you need to know what is possible to be, but at least be able to and work with. They're so talented. There's the R and D lab in there, and the animators and the motion captures are such good, talented people. I know. Um, wow. So to the now then. Um, and then the middle was corporate video production was then, okay, we're not, we're not with studios anymore. Now we're independent and, and we need to do things on a affordable, very, very, very affordable. How do you mm. do that? How do you have amazing results while being <laughs> with limited resource? And so yeah. practice learning how to fight for resources. And that was when I realized, oh my gosh, we had been so lucky <laughs> back with institutions. You didn't have to think about resources at all. Yeah. After you do an interview on a podcast or, you know, and then the post-production part, you have to tweak it so that the, the quality is right, the sounding is right and everything. That's your job too. And you learn all that by yourself. Do you? Are you on your own on this or you got somebody else helping you with this? No, it's a big collaborative process. Um, so when we first started with Waste Not, Why Not, um, we had, we were, there was a woman who was living in Taiwan at the time and she used to work with NPR and oh. it was really amazing. And so she, you know, was able to tell us kind of the type of training that they did. And, and um, so she was the first one to start editing Waste oh. Not, Why Not. And it was great to kind of see how well, she just worked. just luckily got to know her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she's still working with us remotely. Okay. Um, she's back in Florida now. Oh. Um, and as you're listening to more shows, because then now I, I stopped reading books. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. I stopped reading books ever since I started the well, podcasting business. Well, you let your eyes rest, okay? All right. That's always a good thing, yeah. I guess. I but guess. instead, I'm, I'm listening to a lot of podcasts. Oh. But I've just recently started reading again this past month, and I, okay. need, to, I need to do more of that. Um, <laughs> but as I'm listening to these other shows, we're also picking up cues, and also because also thinking about, okay, trying to, trying to dissect what they're doing and how do we do ours better. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. So a lot of it is looking at those case studies. Um, but also, I mean, the the co-founder who's uh, very, very strong in branding, he, he, he's not just a branding marketing person. He, he's also a journalism background. He started his career in photojournalism. Okay. And then with, he was a creative director for kind of video branding. He's very, very good with visuals. And it actually is really interesting to see how he translates that instinct into audio. And it's totally translatable. So he really pushed us to having really good sound. Yeah. And so initially we were playing it kind of safe with music and and he really, you know, pushed us to sign up for, you know, music libraries that just really expanded the possibilities. Mm -hmm. And so I think to me on production side, on post production side, there was a clear turning point where we mm -hmm. go, wait, wait a second. Let's have fun with this. Let's really go crazy and have fun with this. Yeah, and then you, just based on feedback from people. So it's, it's a very, very collaborative process. So um, you're in Taiwan, and I guess you're going to try to focus mostly on Taiwan topics? Not necessarily. No, not necessarily. Okay. Uh, so what we wanted to do is, is two things. And the mission is slightly different for English and for Mandarin. Okay. So for the English one is that there's not, we feel that there's not enough podcast shows and content in English that have anything to do with Taiwan or even just coming from Taiwan. There's a lot more now, but last year at the time there wasn't, there wasn't enough. Wow. So we really, I really wanted to do that to fill that space. Mm. It doesn't have to be 
only about Taiwan,、mm-hmm. but it's just say, hey, here's something really cool that's coming out of this island. So with waste, not why not? Because Taiwan's a really important place, and when it comes to the environment, we have one of the best waste management systems. Yeah,、um, our you know textile recycling innovation is 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 world class.、Mm. But not a lot of people know that. No, I just learned it from you just now. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of reasons too, because normal people don't go yeah, studying thinking、waste. about these kind of things. Yeah, yeah. But even for normal people, we get our news from journalists who are covering this, and oftentimes they'll pull from UN data. But we're not a part of that data,、um, so a lot of times we just get overlooked.、Mm-hmm. So when there are international events happening, when there's like the climate con-、uh, climate summit or UN anything related, Taiwan has to buy these ads.、Um, so in in Poland last year for COP, but I, but Taiwan bought out this light rail. Um, the side of a light rail, and it said Taiwan can help. I'm, I'm sure we had lobbyists there. I'm sure we had government representatives there. But the point is that we're sidelined. And yes, you know, I'm told that we can participate through a lot of the side conversations. But that's side conversations. And even in New York, a couple weeks ago. You saw that ad once again. It looked different, but it still said Taiwan can help. It's just that, you know, just, we're kind of screaming to say, "Hey, look, we're really good at this.、Uh-huh. We need to be a part of the conversation." And I think this year really worked because,、um, or, or some, you could see some efforts being made because、um, during the UN assembly, when countries spoke out for us to be included in the UN,、um, specifically, the news I read came from Guatemala. The, the news I read it came from Guatemala, Iswahiti, and Palau, and the presidents of the three places said, "Hey,、uh, we were we're calling for Taiwan to be included in the UN, but also because they're you know they can they're part of the sustainability conversation, and can help the world in achieving our sustainability goals." So I think it, you know we, we are as a country we are trying we are I, I, we could see that we could see the efforts being made. And so, from a citizen point of view, you know what can we ha- what can we do? So, I happen to have met an environmental researcher here who was an American, and his job is he works at a thinking think tank in Taiwan, and his job is to bridge these two worlds.、Mm-hmm. So, it became this perfect thing and say, hey, look, that's well, yeah, we need to do a show about this, and also we're looking at environmentalism from a global perspective. I think a lot of these conversations are happening mostly in the U.S. and Europe, but Asia is really important. Um, so for the topics, we 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 try to approach this from a world, really global point of view. But when it comes to Taiwan, when it comes to topics that Taiwan should be used and talked about, then we'll we'll talk about Taiwan. But there there will be a show focused only on Taiwan current affairs, and so that's very very Taiwan specific. Okay. Yeah. But for Mandarin shows, the thesis is entirely different. For Mandarin show, it is just because we think that for. To convince、um, people to sign up to a whole new, different medium, we need something very, very unique. Something that you don't get anywhere else. Something that you can't, right? If it's a show that exists already in the magazine form,、um, I don't know that it's an, a lot of incentives to switch platforms. So we look for things that are very、um, different. So to,、mm. to, so we can say, hey, look, you have to, you have to subscribe. Subscribe. You, you have to listen. To the show, otherwise you're not going to get this anywhere else. Yeah. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin.
What about the Mandarin podcast? I mean, what what will be their focus? Yeah, so the that one that we're launching on Thursday. That、um, well, by the time that this episode is aired, it, yeah, it already been been released. So this one is on cannabis law in Taiwan. Ooh, ooh, okay, <laughs> yeah. So we、uh, we met a lawyer who she she's young, she's spunky, she's hilarious.、Um, she also happens to be one of the top. Most sought-after cannabis lawyers in Taiwan. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, she's very busy right now, and she's like, she already has a huge following herself. Uh huh. So the entire yeah, the whole、uh, the first season with her is talking about the intricacies of、uh, Taiwan's cannabis law. At the same time, because there is a global conversation around what every country is doing or how to update、um, cannabis law, right? You have、uh, is it. Is it legalization? Is it medicalization? Or is it what do you do with CBD? It's kind of like a like an oil and essence now. It's being used for、um, supplements. You can find them in face cream. For the Taiwan audience, we'll also talk a bit about what's happening in the world. Where do you want to go from here with, with the podcasting company?、Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to have a lot of shows. What I love about the medium is that it's so easy to consume, and at the same time, there's a lot of different genres for everybody,、mm-hmm. and so we、yeah. try to hit a lot of different genres. So in February, we are at a conference、um, for something called the American Association for the Advancement of Sciences (AAAS). It's a,、okay. it's a very old、um, organization, been around for a really long time in the states. They publish science,、mm. the, the journal. So they have a big conference every year, and we are part of their podcasting stage this year. Oh wow! Is, yeah, it's very very exciting. With enough people, what we could do is I really want to make fiction shows as well, scripted shows. We want to make investigative journalism shows. We want to make interactive. I want to do as many types of shows and format there is possible.、Mm-hmm. Um, but with that, we need more people. We need more money, and so at some point, we'll need to start fundraising as well. I do want to build this out as a media company that people can invest in and believe in it and say, "So we, we do want this to, yeah, have a lot of listeners and sell a lot of ads." This is so great, Emily. Congratulations! I think you're doing something awesome and fun. And I can tell you love this job, and you're gonna love this company, and just gonna just shoot right off. Thank you so much. Yeah, looking forward to all these great podcasts we get to hear here in Taiwan. Finally, you know. Anyway, good、yeah. luck, thank Emily. You. Thank wanna, you. I want to. I want to be able to come back, and、uh, yes. when we have a little, when I have some time to, a little more time to breathe to tell you about the big dream. All right. Yeah, <laughs> give us an update sometime later. We'll so、do. we'll be on my show again. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. Listen, are you listening? <laughs> This is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. <laughs> Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. 
Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.